Going Linux, episode 282, Listener Feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and its applications and using them to get things done. Today's episode, listener feedback. And if you want to send us feedback, our email address is goinglinux at gmail.com and our voicemail line is plus one nine zero four four six eight seven eight eight nine. All right, Bill is unavailable today for our recording, so I'm going this one alone. And our first email is from Roger, and he writes about Jim's question on email setup with Thunderbird. Roger writes, Hi, Larry and Bill. Just listened to episode 282, listener feedback during my morning run. To add to the discussion about IMAP versus POP3, As I understand it, IMAP leaves the mail on the mail server and only downloads the headers to the local client. That means that any action, reply, forward, delete, etc., takes place on the server. A side benefit is that your mail is accessible from any device, laptop, tablet, phone, and any action taken is immediately, well, almost, visible from the other machines. POP3, in contrast, loads the entire mail, headers and bodies, to the device and removes it from the server, which means that no other device will see it subsequently. Bonjour from Belgium, Roger. Thanks, Roger. That helps clarify a few things about how POP3 and IMAP differ. We appreciate it. Jeremy got back to us on his attempts to connect via VPN for his work. You may remember Jeremy had a proprietary login for the VPN that he was using at work, and he was trying to get a Linux computer set up to use it 100% of the time instead of having to virtual machine into a Windows box or have a separate Windows box available uh, for logging into his VPN. Jeremy writes, Hi Larry, I have good news to report. I am logged into my Windows Work PC from my personal laptop running Linux Mint. My IT department doesn't support remote desktop via VPN on Linux, but they did forward me instructions covering Citrix Receiver. To get it to work, I added the Citrix Receiver Chrome extension, launched it, entered my credentials, and was able to gain access to a generic Windows desktop within my company's network. From there, I was able to start a remote desktop connection to my work PC. The speed isn't blazing, but certainly workable. Thanks again for your help. Persistence paid off. Thanks, Jeremy. Well, that's certainly an ingenious way to get it done. So essentially from his Linux computer, he's using a Citrix receiver to log into a Windows PC, which then remotes into his work PC, and he can get his work done from home on his Linux machine. Very good. Glad it worked out for you, Jeremy. Nancy wrote us with some questions. 
Hi guys, it's that Nancy again. I had picked up a couple of iMacs at a liquidation several years ago. They're the last PowerCP platform, which means that Snow Leopard is the last OS X operating system they can run, and there is a pretty serious limitation on what applications they can run at this point. However, they were beefy machines configured for editing images and music tracks, so I'd like to put them to use. I figured they'll run Linux very nicely, and the video should be just amazing on it. Ultimately, I'd like to build a media center to serve up movies and music, and it should also work as a file and print server. I understand before I get all that going, I'll need to incorporate some sort of storage. But I'll start with the computer itself first. Since this project doesn't have a deadline, I have the time to tinker if necessary, so it doesn't have to be beginner-friendly. What distribution will serve this implementation best? Once I have the operating system installed, where can I go for advice on setting up a media center? I think my television has a NIC, but if it doesn't, I'm pretty sure it can use a USB wireless NIC. This is the first time I've actually cared whether or not my television has network capability. We didn't consider it when we bought it because we don't have the capacity with our internet to stream movies via Netflix or use Roku or anything like that. I'm interested in whatever you come up with, and thanks for a great podcast. Well, Nancy, we are certainly not Mac experts here, especially PowerPC experts. I believe that Ubuntu has some PowerPC versions available, uh, perhaps even Ubuntu Mate, which would be certainly lightweight and stay out of the way for video editing and the other things you said you wanted to do with these machines. Um, so you might take a look at the Ubuntu forums to see if they have anything there about PowerPC compatible. Uh, I also know there are some other distributions that still support PowerPC. I don't recall them off the top of my head, uh, primarily because neither Bill nor I spend a lot of time on the Mac platform with Linux. Uh, some of the issues that I have heard, though, that may actually be not so concerning with the PowerPC platform because it's been out of production for a while and maybe these solutions have been solved or these problems have solutions for them but i think there are some issues with power management uh, perhaps display resolution but i think that display resolution issue may be with the higher resolution displays that apple has produced most recently so that may in fact not be a problem for you um, and my recommendation is that you Go to the Google Plus community for the Nightwise podcast. Nightwise, if you're not familiar with him, and who's not if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, Nightwise is a cross-platform slider. He's an expert in Windows, Mac, and Linux, and dabbles in BSD and other uh, operating systems as well, and has a good deal of experience in supporting Linux on his own Macintosh computers and has done some work with power PCs and has answered a few questions as well. So get onto his forum. We'll have a link in our show notes to the uh, Nightwise podcast, Google Plus community. Ask some questions around there. I'm sure Nightwise or some of his 
community will be able to answer some of the questions you have and confirm or deny whether the uh, power management is an issue on the older power PC platforms. Um, there, there may actually be, if I remember correctly, an article from Nightwise on his website, nightwise.com, that uh, outlines how to install Linux on a Macintosh. I think he's done a couple of them for various versions of Mac. So take a look over there on his site, look and ask some questions on his forum. And that's probably the best advice we can give you right off the top. And if any of our community of listeners knows of some specific advice to help Nancy, go to our Google Plus community and post something there for her. Maybe a reference to an article on how to install or an article on uh, some of the issues and how to solve them that she may run into when uh, installing Linux. And even a recommendation on which distribution of Linux might be best. Thanks. Our next message comes from Saudi Arabia, and it comes in the form of an SMS text message. Thank you so much for your amazing podcast, and please keep up your wonderful work. God bless you, Manso from Saudi Arabia. Well, thanks, Manso, and thanks for sending that as a text message to our Going Linux phone number, our feedback line. Our final email is from Christopher Wade of Think Penguin. And Christopher is bringing an issue to our attention. So you probably want to listen up. Even though this is a long email, it's an important email. And this is about a proposal that is in front of the FCC in the United States. The FCC is a Federal Communications Commission. And what has this to do with countries outside of the U.S.? Well, if this proposal is adopted... It may have an impact on other countries should they choose to follow what the U.S. is doing, as many other countries have a habit of doing, whether the decision is right or wrong. Uh, and in this case, we believe that this could be uh, problematic. It, it may have the best of intentions, but I think it has some unintended consequences if it's actually implemented. So, Chris at Think Penguin. Here's your email. I was referred to your podcast by another host in the Linux podcasting community who I interviewed a few weeks ago. I'm participating in a grassroots campaign that you may be interested in. The campaign is trying to bring attention to an issue that will effectively ban third-party firmware and operating systems on all kinds of devices. There are some rules already going into effect and manufacturers who have responded by locking down their firmwares. However, the FCC is asking for comments from impacted parties as they are looking to extend the rules. It is only a subset of the proposed rules which are bad and negatively impact everybody, technical users and non-technical users alike. Unfortunately, there has been a lot of misinformation, wrong information, or errors on the matter with reporters of technical publications as the issues are broad and spread across different rules and time periods. There are also recommendations and actual rules. There are also rules in Canada and Europe as well, which are an issue. The articles have largely framed this as a router issue, when it's not. How it impacts wireless routers alone is a major issue, 
but it goes far beyond that. It negatively impacts every device with a 5 GHz radio in it. That is, all modern Wi-Fi chips. Computers, cell phones, tablets, printers, wireless routers, and other devices included. The most detailed explanation of what's going on was done in a write-up by one of the participants of the Save Wi-Fi Coalition. And we'll have a link to that write-up in our show notes. The Save Wi-Fi website is www.savewifi.org. The participants include Qualcomm Atheros, one of the largest designers of Wi-Fi radio chipsets, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the Free Software Foundation, engineers who've worked on the drivers and firmware of impacted chipsets that are going into the routers, cell phones, tablets, and computers, software developers from OpenWRT, Libra CMC, and Ciro WRT, a fork of OpenWRT, which was used for improving wireless communications, for example, buffer bloat, reduced latency, and page load times. The group also includes other groups, organizations, people, companies, for example, Think Penguin Inc., which is my company, and we sell and focus on developing Libra CMC, a 100% free embedded distribution, and a router or two. We actually sell all sorts of freedom-friendly hardware. We'll have a link to the Think Penguin site in the show notes as well. I'd encourage you to do a show on this issue sooner rather than later. Well, this is that show. The comment period for the proposed FCC rule change ends October 8th. The FCC is asking for feedback on how these rules will negatively impact companies, organizations, and projects. In order to overturn the rules already in effect, we need to stop the proposed rules from going into effect, after which we need to extend the campaign to overturn the rules in effect in the U.S. and also fight similar rules in Europe and Canada. If you'd be interested in having me on your show, I'd be happy to do an interview to discuss the issue. There are various aspects that your audience will be interested in hearing about. Environmental safety, think Hurricane Katrina, amateur radio operator, running third-party firmware on wireless routers, that is OpenWRT, DDWRT, LibreCMC, and even computers. Do you run Linux? Of course you do. Well, you may not be permitted to install your own choice of operating systems in the future. Christopher Wade. Think Penguin Inc. CEO, part of the Save Wi-Fi Coalition and sponsor of the Libra CMC embedded distribution for routers and similar devices. Well, thanks, Chris. And although this episode will be published on October 5th and the comment period ends October 8th, that only gives three days from our published date to get this done. And many of our listeners actually listen sometime after we publish. So we'll include your letter verbatim on the Going Linux Google Plus community forum prior to the published date of this listener feedback episode to give people just a little bit more time to uh, respond and if they choose to provide comments during the comment period that'll give them a little more time to do that as well we appreciate the heads up uh, i also noticed that chris fisher 
has addressed this on the Linux Action Show. If you listen to that Linux podcast, you'll have already heard him mention that very briefly on the show. And uh, we'll include a link to the article that he referenced from September 5th, if I remember correctly. Yes, September 5th article in the Register in the UK, which brought this to his attention. That article came out after Bill and I recorded the previous episode. And quite frankly, we missed that article as well. So we'll include that link for you to get a little uh, broader perspective on the issue. And that article also links to the proposal as a PDF, the FCC proposal. So we'll include a link to the PDF file as well. Uh, in case you don't have access to the register article and would like to take a look at what this proposal actually has to say. That's it for our listener feedback episode this time. We'll have a user experience episode at the end of the month. Until then, go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. If you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux Google Plus community. And please read the post that I have put there from Think Penguin uh, and uh, give your consideration to the cause that he would like us to support. Until next time, thanks for listening. Music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.